out of two nerds. I'm Erin. I'm Victoria. I'm Hebeka. And this is Out, out of Tune. Well, I'm very excited today. We have a very special guest. Our lovely friend Marie from UMass is here. Do you want to say hello? Hello. Very <laughs> excited to be here and talk with all of you. Oh. I just am so excited to talk with you because during the semester, things get so hectic and busy and I feel like we all go into our own worlds and then don't talk as much and we've missed you so much this semester. So yeah, we're yes, super excited to we miss you so much, Marie. It's so great to have you here. Yes. <laughs> I've been so excited ever since we planned that you were going to be on today. <laughs> I'm honored to be part of your podcast. I've been following it since it started so oh my gosh really excited a true fan <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh well um I guess we'll just jump right in right yeah well so tell us about your research why you're here what you I mean yeah just go ahead yeah all right so I think everything started um, from a class that we actually, me and Victoria took together. Yes. And Rebecca, were you also in it? Maybe not. No? I don't think so. Yeah. I think yeah. Leticia was. Oh, yes. Oh, Leticia right. was. You're right. Yeah. Uh, which uh, was taught by Morena Ricci about entrepreneurship in music. And um, I had no idea what I was going to write my paper about. But a few things really caught uh, my attention. And one was kind of realizing all of a sudden that all the repertoire that we study is written by white males. And yep. <laughs> um, I'm originally a Zionist. And um, so I dedicated pretty much 20 years to study traditional repertoire and all of it. I couldn't really trace back any of um, the music that I played written by a woman. And so I kind of digged into it and Mariana recommended this book called Caliban and the Witch, which transformed my life. It's written by uh, Silvia Federici. And I literally spent days reading, like I stayed up all night reading it. Like, <laughs> as you know, during the semester, doing something like that is crazy. Um, and I kind of, you know, I was so hungry for it and read, read it all. And that book really explains how the establishment of capitalism really um, destroyed the position of women in society. Mm. Which I never really thought about. I just did never connect those dots. And then my project became bigger and bigger and bigger. And then I thought, well, actually I want to dedicate my life to this. And so I transitioned to music history and then um, I'm now writing the thesis in which I'm arguing that in order to understand the underrepresentation of women or the absence of women from the classical musical canon, we have to talk, talk about capitalism and what capitalism did to women. Wow. And that's kind of a new, you know, argument to make. Um, and normally feminist musicology does not talk about capitalism. And part of my research is why are they not talking about something that is so important? And the research is not new. It's been around, this book has been around since 1993, but anyways, mm -hmm. in the nineties, there's been like tons of research done on this. So, um, you know, it's interesting that has not been talked about. Yeah. 
it's a really uh, big gap, right? Since 93, we would expect that this subject would be like more developed or we would have even more researches, but it's really interesting that we have this gap. I mean, not this gap, but um, this subject hasn't evolved as one should. Yeah, I think partially, I mean, capitalism has been studied a lot since then. Like Timothy Taylor is one of the pioneers in it. Um, but gender in capitalism in relationship to music is not as covered. Um, and so a lot of the study that has been done more, at least in America, has been related to race. So we have a lot of, um, you know, critical race theory in relationship mm -hmm. to music. And that is also more discussed, uh, I think, at school at least in classes that I've been taking, um, you know, there's been a lot of critical thinking around that. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's strange. It's strange. So I'm curious, what have you found? Like, I feel like talking about capitalism in the U.S. right now is a big deal. I don't know. I've <laughs> yeah. never heard about it in relationship to gender either. So I'm just I curious what either. have you found on that? Yeah, one of the my theories, like very personal that I, I don't know yet if it's really true, but one of the things that I thought about is that since America is so funded on capitalism, right? It's like, mm -hmm. it's very important uh, political uh, economic structure. Criticizing capitalism means, and like capitalist musical structure means like destroy <laughs> what we know. Oh, yeah. So, it would be like a very challenging if you think about, um, for example, like dismantling elitism um, in the school. How do we then teach music? How do we select the performers? How do we, who is like the women? And what about all the women that nobody knows about? Anyway, but um, I think the biggest connection that for me has been the most striking um, is that normally we think about capitalism as a transition, like something that we transitioned into, like kind of naturally, at mm. least it's how I thought about it before. Maybe I shouldn't generalize, but a lot of the texts write about it in this way. Um, and Federici is like, no, actually, in order to transition to capitalism, we had to kill thousands and thousands of people. And she argues that you know, for example, Marx didn't, you know, in his analysis, um, he did not talk about gender as a component. And so she's very Marxist and she talks about how actually by not considering women, a very big, big piece is like lost. And she argues that the witch hunts, which were real, they were real, like um, an incredible amount of people were killed through the witch hunts and um, were actually, an attempt to establish control over women and control over reproduction. So one of the things that really happened that transformed uh, the condition of women was that one, women all of a sudden were not able to practice any of their like um, traditional, um, you know, works. Like for example, brewing beer was something that women would do, but also a lot of healers were women. And the heretic movement, which was a movement that really rebelled against um, the, the establishment of capitalism was led by women who had a position of power. And so any woman who had a position of power or was practicing kind of magical things, but that were actually traditional healing methods or midwives that were, um, you know, obviously women were done, lynched. 
killed and um, with the accusation of witch hunts. And then the other component that really um, made a big difference in women's lives is that, for example, rape that had been uh, something that was not legal for many, many years was um, legalized. And so it was normal for men to go around, rape poor women, and then their lives were lost. And the only thing that they could do was prostitution, but then prostitution was abolished and was illegal. So as you can see, the Mm -hmm. lives of women were like, you know, devastated. And that caused like, that happened like in the lower classes, but then it actually kind of translated also in higher classes because then in the courts, for example, women became like for properties, like they were privatized, were properties, they lost their position of powers. They like Isabella d'Este, for example, who is like a very important figure in Italy um, at the end of, uh, well, in the 1600, 16th century, um, she lost, you know, her position of power and she used to be like a big time patron and like a very, very important um, person who, who was, even when her husband died, she was in charge of the court. And she was actually the last person, last woman who really had that position. And after her, already in the 1600s, we lose all that. And not coincidentally, that is also when the peak of the witch hunt starts. And so basically I'm trying in my research kind of combining those things and trying to understand how it happens that in music, there is all this, like in the 1600s, we have all these women that become the divas and there is a concerto delle donne and like all these women become so important. Annika Strati, all the soprano voices are so, you know, uh, valued and uh, are really protagonists and everybody seeks them. And at the same time, underneath, there's like a complete loss of autonomy. Mm. And I don't really know (laughs) how this contradiction plays out, but it's a very interesting contradiction where like women are silenced and they're like tightened up or like, uh, you know, you know, given value for their voices, which not coincidentally are their bodies, mm-hmm. which is what women are relegated to. Mm-hmm. So women can sing, but they cannot compose. Mm-hmm. This composing has to do with the mind. And so there is also that very interesting thing of like the body-mind split and um, in which then progressive with the, the cart you know, he terrorizes it. And then a lot of people go after that, but which happens later, but still women and men are kind of divided in body and mind. And then women can only do things that are relegated to the body, like labor, active labor, which is producing children Mm -hmm. and and the real labor that is working. (laughs) It's very interesting that the word is the same, right? Yeah, that is interesting. Hmm. Yeah. I thought about that. I haven't either. You said so many things already where I'm just like, wow. Okay. Yeah. I agree with all of this. <laughs> and I'm kind of just I'm taking it all in and I'm just sitting here and I'm like, okay. Yes. <laughs> um Yeah, that's my reaction to this is all so deep and there's so many 
branches that we can go on and talk for uh, a long time. I, I just want to hear more. I just yeah. And listen to you. I have a question. Um, it's unrelated kind of to what you just said. <laughs> Oops. But because um, you, you do a lot of connections with, with history to now. Have you done any connections with your home country, Italy at all? Like, has there been anything that you found in your research with Italy just because you're from there? And I'm, I'm just curious to hear if you, if you yes. anything. It's actually where I'm focusing mm. um, right now. I'm focusing on Italy for the courts because in the courts, I mean, most of, most of what we know in the, you know, in the Renaissance, early Renaissance or early modernism, has to do with Italian courts, courts in music. Um, you know, what was happening in Ferrara and Milano and Roma and company. And I focus on Ferrara because the Concerto delle Donne, otherwise known as, yeah, you know, okay. The Concert of the Women, which was an ensemble of three women. Um, and they were super secret. Um, you know, they were supposed to, they were singing many, many, many hours every day for Isabel uh, for Alfonso II d'Este and Margherita Gonzaga in an attempt for them to uh, produce a hair. So that's very hair, no age. Um, <laughs> it's <laughs> it's you very- know what you meant. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, but you know, I'm catching myself with my uh, Marinism or Italianisms. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so I think there is something very interesting um, in how things are played out in Italy, also because um, Italy was so separated. It was so many little courts and every court had so much power. And, um, and that separation in many ways still lives today. Not everywhere, but like the identity of each like little region which are so small, especially in comparison to America. It's like mm. the identity of Amherst, you know? <laughs> and then it's like a court, um, it's, or like a, a little region, you know, it's very interesting how um, that plays out, um, even in studying those dynamics. But then, you know, il Concerto delle Donne really influenced all of Italy and it became such a predominant thing. And um, it's also very interesting because for from the more historical capitalist side, because um, I feel like Italians are known as being very rebellious to any kind of ruling still now. I mean, it's <laughs> so hard. Italy was theoretically unified 150 years ago, but it was like done through violence and nobody really believes in it. And especially, you know, the South and some regions in the North still feel like their identities in their region rather than you know, really in, in Italy as a whole. Um, and so I think there's been so many forms of rebellion and so many healers, women healers that were so famous and um, really lost their position. So I guess in, you know, my next focus is gonna be more in Germany because I'm gonna, you know, think more about the canon and it has to do so much with, you know, Germany and, why Germany got to be in such a position of power mm. and that it became to be seen as the music, you know, capital music. All we want to do is play Beethoven, Mozart, 
Brahms, they are the real musicians and everything else is not. You know, I, I don't agree, but I also feel like even in Italy today, that's the way it's thought of. Like the biggest achievement is playing a symphony of Brahms or Mahler, you know? Mm. Um, and I'm really interested in dismantling this idea. And I think a lot of people, it's not, I'm not, you know, by myself, yeah. Yeah, we are too. <laughs> all like, yeah. We are all in the same yeah. world. Yeah. And I also do not believe that expanding the canon is the solution. I think the canon mm. is the representation of a system of elitism that we do not want. So um, you think like it would be best to almost, you know, because we have the standard rep and like, at least in my experience, like, I've strayed from it a lot, especially, like, in quartets. Like, I've been lucky, I think, to play a lot of, like, stuff by Joan Tower and, like, Amy Beach, whereas maybe I missed out on Beethoven for a lot of years, but am I missing something, you know? <laughs> I don't think so. Don't you think caught so. up the last two years anyway, I think. Yeah. <laughs> with all the quartets that we played together. <laughs> I know, I know, but I'm just thinking, like, it in this new with no canon that would be fine it sounds really good doesn't it yeah just like letting, letting music be music like yeah that's yeah. how it should be um well also why are we playing all this very ancient music you know i mean there is a value yeah. in honoring the masters i guess but also how why are those in such a pedestal position i mean i think ultimately one of the things that we don't really think about, I think, generally when we study about this composer is what are the political reasons that we study those folks and why are they in a position of pedestal, which is what I'm ultimately interested in. Of course, elevating women to a position of pedestal, who benefits? Not patriarchy for sure, right? So, I mean, I think it's part of a system of control and, um, but I don't know, what is your experience like playing contemporary stuff rather than, uh, you know, traditional repertoire? Fine. I love I it. Like, I love I, it too. I really... Also, I feel like... Yeah, I really love it. Um, yeah. I, there's almost a sense of freedom because I'm not playing towards an expectation of how this mm -hmm. piece should sound. Um, I, I think you said it all, the freedom of playing um new music is just it's, really it's not the wonderful. same feeling as playing something from the canon yeah. yeah and i almost i think i've said it before on on our podcast in one of the episodes but if you think about it like <sighs> symphonies that are that keep on being played concertos that keep on being played quartets that keep on being played they're almost like cover bands like people just keep redoing the standard of how it should be performed as well yeah. or the interpretation and there's no room for it to grow because then if you do something different it's so taboo it's like oh why would you do it that way the mozart wouldn't have wanted it that way but i don't know i i'm abolishing the musical canon sounds wonderful to me yeah uh, yeah so i think that that's great. I haven't heard anyone's. I I really love your your thoughts on. I think yeah. it, like like expanding it is hurting it rather than helping the the issue right now. Mm -hmm. And I've never thought about it that way. Yeah, 
Yeah, me neither. I never thought that um, the issue, one of the issues was we trying to expand it. Um, but you said so many things that I thought it was so interesting and also interesting to know, uh, interested to know why German became like the center or the thing that you said about um, there was definitely political uh, aspects to those composers becoming the pedestal. I think it was never never something that I thought about it and I n never saw uh, any professor and like undergrad or any place talking about it. So it is such a valid uh, as like valid topic to talk about. I'm really interested in that. Yeah. And yeah, definitely not expanding uh, the canon now that you say it it's so obvious but mm -hmm. before you say before you said that i was like i didn't even thought about that right it was not a, my original idea honestly there are some folks that uh really talk about this in uh especially like in literature as well um and just talking about um you know especially with critical race theory how expanding it I mean, it's kind of similar to is is it really helping if we have like women that are now CEO of all companies or like if we have, um, you know, black people that are in charge of, I don't know, like destroying the Amazon forest. Is that like that doesn't really help. Right. I had this like a great conversation with Mariana about it. And I, as I re read this book that I highly recommend by Jess, Jesse Crispin. It's called Why I'm Not a Feminist. And um, she's obviously at the core, like very in line with like the true feminism, but she explains why this is not a solution. Just having women in position of power is not the solution. We have to change the system. And what true feminism was trying to do was changing um, this like elitism, this destruction, this, um, this thing in which we are taking advantage of the planet and that personal choice, yes, it needs to be important, but ultimately if your personal choice is, you know, to destroy the planet, then you're definitely not being feminist or not even really a humanist, you know, or like a human oriented person. And so I think there is, um, a lot to think about, like when we talk about movements or elitism on how to still find a way to like not being scooped up, like how like capitalism kind of scoops up everything, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you know, there are um, people playing very rebellious music and they're trying to be anti-capitalist and all of a sudden they get like the deal of the, a lifetime and then they tour everywhere and they make so much money and then they become the symbol off, you know? And then they are scooped up, right? They're all of a sudden part of capitalism. Uh, structure. So it's interesting how um, we can um, we can do that resistance. And I think with music, there is a lot to think about. Um, I I wanted to say something about like what uh, Victoria brought up about how everything is kind of mechanized. Like you you keep hearing things one after the other, and um, they're all the same and there is not really valued anymore 
like finding your own personal sound. Mm. And I really agree. And that is also part of my research. <laughs> and not yeah. quite like in the contemporary way, but I'm like studying um, how music education, especially in England, because that's what I've uh, researched so far, but I'm really interested, Rebecca, also to like look into Germany more, um, what, what happened and why. But apparently in England, conservatories were mostly created for women because men were building their careers without having like official musical training. They had like mm. one mentor and then they would like get into professional life. But women were trained and like the 95% of people in the first uh, England conservatories were women. Can you believe that? I didn't and, know that. Didn't and then know. that was the first time um, you know, there were exams on scales and like controlling your body and like doing all those things that we do all the time, like playing super rigorously technique and stuff. And Anna Boll, which wrote, uh, who is um, who's a scholar and she wrote this dissertation, which is amazing. And now as a book, um, she really talks about how this was yet another way to establish control over women and a women body and relegate them to their bodies. So their education was not so much in expressing themselves, but it was in mastering technique that would require hours and hours and perform them perfectly. And I think this kind of, we lost the fact that was a gendered thing. And now a lot of what we do, I mean, I. You know, we all spend, we should spend, I guess, uh, based on conservatory hours and playing scales and stuff. I don't know if anybody really does it, but um, you know what I mean. But um, <laughs> like hours and hours um, playing scales and very pure technique to show that we have masterful control. And then where is everything else? Why can we not express the emotions? Why can we not express the other things? And I think, um, it used to be much more like if you hear the old recordings of musicians um, like, well, my field is violin, so I'm mostly not about violin, uh, but just you could hear the sound. I mean, you can, you know, you know, if somebody is Perlman or Gitlis mm -hmm. or uh, Cavacos or you, you know, you turn it on and if you know their sound or Manhuin, they are so different yeah. and I think that has been lost we are a lot I mean it's much harder now to like know just from recording from a recording to know who is playing because everybody's so perfect right mm -hmm. quote unquote and I'm thinking where is this perfection bringing us is it really making it more beautiful more accept like more accessible mm. is it something we need to strive for I don't know I feel yeah. like the this like you know wanting to be perfect or um, the ex expectation or to be to to have this perfect technique and to have the perfect sound or tone or whatever um, is kind of creating a league of these perfect musicians that is really hard to get into. And then I also think about this league idea with the canon as well, like like thinking about how we were. Sorry, I'm going back to that, but it just made me think about um, how we were saying, like, go expand the canon so that we can include these female composers or POC composers. But it's like 
having them into this league that still doesn't include everyone. And I kind of feel the same way about this perfection and or perfecting stuff that doesn't really matter. Um, and it doesn't, it's not what I love about music. Like when I listen to someone or I watch someone, I'm not thinking, oh my God, their bow arm is so straight. <laughs> like I'm not, like I'm, like that's not what I think. Like I'm so drawn to their musicality or the way that they phrase things or their, ex you know, how they express something. Um, so yeah, I really, I really agree with you, Marie. Everything mm -hmm. you just said. Anyway. I agree with you, Victoria, and like this league that was created with this perfect musicians. Now we are, we find ourselves in a place that we want to, or we were taught to want to be yeah. also perfect and to uh, want this perfection. But I I wonder like when did we lose the point of what is music because that is not the point of being perfect, right? I yeah. wonder like if Bach or Beethoven or any of those masters that are in the canon now they looked right now to us they would be like would they approve what we're doing just playing over and over and just like not having like you said our own sound not having our own personality in the music just like copying and trying to make it perfect i don't think they, i don't know yeah. it also seems like as i've gotten further into like my music education slash training i guess if you want to call it there's been the emphasis more on having perfect technique rather than when i was growing up or or like in high school like i don't know i i don't know i've just heard it re like when i've been in college in both degrees of this idea for oh you need to have this perfect technique where i feel like if that is something that is standard amongst everyone why isn't that stated or taught at the beginning i don't know and it's just and it's just interesting to me that I've only really heard about this, like, you need to have perfect technique later in my music education, which to me seems backwards. Well, I, even I though I don't think... agree, <laughs> but. Right. Yeah, I think... I think, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go, Rebecca. I was just going to mention that I think for me, because I had Suzuki training since the beginning, mm. we focus a lot on having the right posture, for example. Since yeah, like I had, I had like a loose, not like strict, not like a Suzuki program, but like a Suzuki trained teacher and I did some Suzuki and I, what I, from what I remember the most is like focusing on sound. Like that was what I remember. Like of course, like holding your bow correctly and doing, and of course I've, I've been corrected on technique stuff before, but that like the main focus was tone and sound for me That's that true. I can remember. Um. I don't know. It's just interesting that we're, we're talking about these things and what well, I remember and how I connect it. I think to bring up what Rebecca was talking about, um, about like reaching the perfection and having that like as a goal and stuff. I think probably a lot of it um, is also related to recordings, right? Because oh, I see. Uh, we just, we are used to such a refined way of listening to music 
and we put on a CD and then everything is perfect. Everything is touched, retouched and any kind of mistake is changed. And, you know, the conditions are perfect and it's the orchestra, blah, blah, blah. And Berlin is this and Berlin are there, you know, like it's, uh, we are used to such a high level. And then we try to replicate that. And rather than finding our own individual way of doing things. Right. Um, and the other thing is, I think, also related to um, just not having really the opportunity to explore that, um, like that freedom within our training, like that we're not really allowed to do something out of the ordinary. I think Victoria said that, like, yeah not really being having that freedom of saying well actually I want to do a complete different phrasing (laughs) it's like to do that you have already to be famous or something like you have to be so convincing and otherwise you kind of have to stick to the metronome if you don't do everything in like in a metronomic order then you're already out um talking of like excerpts additions and all those kind of things and then in orchestra I feel like there is so much swaying of time anyway, because everything is like organically changing. That is another thing that I'm now interested in, like how, why, when metronome became so important in our education and I've why we spent so much about it. time. Oh my, gosh. my goodness, I, I think I spend more time playing with the metronome than not playing with the metronome. Actually, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? that's and so true. It doesn't really seem to help so much. It doesn't really like. Wow, this is enlightening. I, <laughs> I was thinking about how much time I spend like with the tunable app. I forget which one I use, but like with the drone and the metronome and making sure my scales are perfect. And it's like, wow. Oh yeah. You know, it, one you thing. Know, I'm sorry. Go. go ahead. No, you go. I'm so sorry. One thing that Marie said that I think it led us to this point, Erin, that you were saying, is that uh, we got so used to listening to the perfect recordings, mm-hmm. but we never uh, think about the um, situation they were when they were recording. Mm-hmm. Like, they did that over and over to get the perfect one. And also, the sound, the microphone, the everything, like their instruments. Yeah, it's I all edited. It's yeah. And maybe even like the room or I don't know, to get that sound. Uh Are I was you thinking play a Stradivari. <laughs> sorry. As like you don't have a Stradivari, sorry for Yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah. So it it is lot it is not anything like the situation we are trying to make their the same sound that they have in the perfect recording right we're like they just raised the bar so high that it's it is not something doable like alive i don't know photoshop or if, or if it is like so we do watch a lot of amazing um con- concerts right yeah um but also don't you think it's boring I'm, yes i was just about to say honestly <laughs> Now that we're through the pandemic and I have like not played with anybody for, I don't know, nine months or something. Mm -hmm. The thing that I miss the most, I swear, is 
being in the conservatory and walking down the aisle and like yes. hearing all the weirdos playing like really weird things and being like out of tune changing reshaping it or like playing a weird phrasing or like or also playing it is super beautiful i'm not saying that you know everything is like that but just hearing the quote-unquote imperfection like the humanity in the music mm -hmm. that is what i miss the most i heard the other way the other day a very close friend of me mine playing like uh you know a, bit of, uh, a mother sonata and i was so happy like she she's not a pianist she's like an academic and but still she plays very well and you know she did all those things that she like i don't know she was so human in her playing and i do not need to hear gods you know all the time <laughs> i just want to hear my humans yeah. like it's so different and so much more beautiful and i yeah. just said i i was about to cry when you said that because that's <laughs> how i felt every single time i went to like a concert hall and i always thought i was the wrong one like what is wrong with me that i'm not enjoying this beautiful perfect music but that that's how i felt like almost every time i think mm. that the first time that i actually felt alive was when i watched the right of the spring the Korea, like the dance the yeah. ballet, ballet the ballet <laughs> and i was like wow but yeah i totally agree with you marie oh my god mind blowing <laughs> something that you said Marie earlier and then Rebecca just used the word wrong because um, I feel like that emotion of feeling wrong is like pretty common mm -hmm. um, especially in in lessons or in coachings or rehearsals or something when when you try to do something different or something that you believe in and then it's not that you, they say that you're wrong, they meaning like professors or people who are above us who have positions or whatever, but they make you feel like that's wrong, like you can't do it that way. Yeah. And then I just totally disagree. Like, why is that? Why is creativity or expression or interpretation that's different wrong? I just don't. I don't get it. And it's, it, it's conversations like these that just make me question everything. I'm like, why is it this way? Why, why do we do this? This is so stupid. No point. <laughs> How did we um, get to this point? Yeah. Like, that this is the Socratic mo moment. It was like, <laughs> you're like questioning everything. And at the end of it, you're like, oh my God, I don't know anything. I don't know. I know that I don't know. And yeah. then apparently then you give birth to your true self. <laughs> Well, here we are, wow. I guess. Giving birth. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> but I just, I don't know. Sometimes I just really question like the whole system and I'm, I'm having that moment right now, yeah. but also, um, yeah, I don't have anything else to say. That was, that was my thought, I guess. <laughs> well, um, I, I also find myself sometimes like, in, like having this conversation we are having or just thinking about this stuff and then something clicks that says to me oh you're so what like why are you thinking about this that's so crazy let's just get back to what we were doing like everybody does and just follow the rules and yeah. just just go with it don't think too much and then i end up going back but you know that's one of the reasons i was saying before <laughs> 
before we started, I was saying that I, I'm not looking forward going back to classes, guys, <laughs> <laughs> because then there's all this stuff that we, I have to go back doing the way that yeah. some of it I don't want to. Right. Yeah. yeah, this is why I like said on our podcast last week where I was like, I want to do things that bring like or play things that bring me joy on my recital and I think I prefaced it by saying I it sounds kind of stupid or dumb or I don't know what I said but it's not <laughs> like it shouldn't oh. be you know um like that sh I feel like that's the whole point of music like you do things that either fulfill you as a musician or make you happy or with the intent of fulfilling the the hearts and emotions of, the, of an audience yeah um well, uh, it's very interesting to me that you did not mention the composer. Yeah, I mean, sorry. That's so great. <laughs> Victoria is so great because that opens a whole nother thing of like, normally I think what we are told the most are, I mean, I think I can speak for the four of us, but if not, correct me. But like that we have to honor what the composer wants and like, how could you ever play Bach this way? Obviously Bach wanted it this way or even more with Beethoven and, you know, the more we go forward in romanticism, the worse it gets hmm. uh, of when we like the, the score gets sacralized and all of a sudden the most important thing is a score and hmm. the performer loses its autonomy, right? And I think it's very valuable or beautiful that you did not mention the fact that, you know, you have to respect the composer's will because I, I think I sorry I don't think I usually do I now that you say it I mean not, I don't I mean that's not something that crosses my mind I think of sometimes I think about what did the composer intend like what was the purpose of this music but I don't necessarily think I think that question or what you're saying about how I mean how I didn't mention the composer brings up the question were they writing for themselves I don't I don't know because I mean especially with like baroque composers or even classical composers they were made to like compose a certain amount of music like within a week so how could they technically be writing for themselves if they're just made to mass produce all of these things right but are you never told in like have you never been told in your lessons that you're like playing something not yeah like Mozart canning enough oh like, yeah well yeah. that's what I mean kind of like you have to fit in that canon within the canon <laughs> Like I you see. have to perform it in a certain way to respect this um, probably constructed will of the composer. Mm. I mean, I think Mahler, who not notates pretty much every two measures, you know, you kind of know what he wants. But but yeah. still, I mean, with earlier composers, I think it's uh, you know there should be more room, which there was more room. Mm. I mean, the way Joachim plays Brahms. It's certainly not the way we play Brahms today. Not at all. Not at all. And it's not only a matter of style, I think. It's a matter of like how we reprogram ourselves to think about how we should be doing something. Right. Very yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just sitting here and my, my wheels are turning in my brain and I'm just like, wow. This changes. I'm going to look at life in a completely new way now. Um, so where are you in 
your process of research or your thesis like what's happening right now and then also maybe what do you want to do once you're done with your thesis like with your research do you what like what's the goal if you have one you don't have to have one okay so um, first where I'm with my research so I just finished um my first chapter in which um uh as I said maybe before um how like kind of differently from how normally musicology is talked about or written about. I'm uh, spanning across centuries in my research, which is very unusual because normally people like would focus maybe on the life of one composer or something. Mm. And instead I'm kind of looking, Emiliano said I'm doing metamusicology. I'm like looking <laughs> at the span of what happened in the centuries because that's what I'm, I'm interested in. So in order to understand what happened in Germany and the musical canon, I decided that it was very important for me to understand what happened before that, because something set the base for women to be excluded. And normally in like traditional musicology or even feminist musicology, the exclusion of women, I want to say, you know, I'll simplify it right now, but generally it's kind of attributed to them. Like, they did not write symphonies because they did not want to write symphonies or they were not good enough. They were not serious musicians. They did not receive real education and blah, 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 which is ultimately, I think, not true. Yeah, um, right. And especially <laughs> if you think, think about Fanny Mandelson, I mean, that example is so clear of how, you know, she was like blittered throughout her whole life and like her, her father wanted like he was like no your Felix can be a composer but you have to get married like stop this stuff um so it's very um I wanted to understand why what set the place for that like what set the base for that so now I just finished looking at early modernism and what happened in the renaissance and stuff and I'm about to start like the bulk of my research for what's happening next. So like canon formation, which I did at some point, but not at all in detail enough. And then I'm gonna probably in the next few months be able to respond to Rebecca question, which I kind of uh, sidetracked about how, <laughs> uh, what and why Germany uh, became so like elitist and why was that elevated as, um, probably other people responded it uh, I just haven't you know haven't really dug, dug into it um, but and I think ultimately I don't think really that my research is going to end with my master's which is why I'm applying for a PhD and I think in my PhD I would like to keep doing this work but deepening it so that I start really knowing women's work because mm -hmm. now I'm mostly talking about the reasons why women are not, uh, you know, represented. But then, although I've I've done some private studies on my own to like know more about women composers, I think it's so challenging if you have to build all that cu culture from scratch. I mean, I studied music since I was eleven. I studied in a conservatory, so I built like my knowledge of, you know. Compo like male composer traditional canon composers in like 16 years yeah. and so um thinking you know it's probably gonna take me probably at least as much like really knowing getting to know women's music and there is stuff there is like anthologies and things that are being put together and you know scholars that are really trying to give voice 
so a lot of women have been forgotten but it's still you know I would want to get to the point in which I'm as comfortable talking about them that I'm comfortable talking about Mozart and Beethoven you know and probably one of my goals would be to really give voice to them in some way I also would love to organize performances. I think at some point we were talking about like creating a woman ensemble to perform women's music. And it's still kind of in the back of my plans. I'm hoping to, in the PhD that I'm applying for, I always wrote, you know, I am also interested in combining with performance stuff. And so maybe give a lecture and then performing women's work and then talk about, you know, their lives and stuff um, because I talk with so many people and they cannot name one woman composer, one, you know, and everybody can name Mozart and Beethoven pretty much, you know, and so that's shocking, shocking. And also it's so normal. <laughs> I mean, it's normal, but I'm, I'm now feel, feeling it as like a shock, you know, mm -hmm. I'm trying to desensitize myself to that kind of patriarchal normalcy, because mm -hmm. I think that's really like, if we can like shave away those kind of layers that we are used to and then become like look with new eyes you realize how many structures are in place that even avoid like keep you from asking certain questions and just give those for granted and um and yeah for my future i don't know i'm kind of also really interested in um traveling in the amazon forest and recording Amazonian women rituals and like the wow. music they're playing, um, which would be like more uh, in a musicology project. But because I guess another pocket of my really real interest is how magic plays into this, uh, how music used to be like a magical ritual, but like a community ritual. And we see that even, um, you know, when you study spirituals and African music, you see that a lot of it had to do with community building and like singing together and uh, bringing people together in, in like, um, you know, rituals that were very important for the community. And of course, in Western European countries, all those rituals are lost. And we don't really like, you know, we celebrate birthdays, but we don't really celebrate like manhood or womanhood or like, we don't even talk about really developing um, I don't know, rituals to celebrate the passages of life. And so I'm just interested in how cultures that perhaps have still preserved like cults that are not patriarchal. So they're still kind of either matriarchal or still have like strong feminine grounding and see how they organize their society. Because ultimately it's true that I'm talking about women mostly, but my ultimate goal is writing about how patriarchy and capitalism ruined the lives of both gender and everybody who's in between. Mm -hmm. Like it destroyed the, like the positions of, you know, LGBTQ folks and um, it structured our lives so that women have to behave in certain ways and men have to be behave in other ways. And now we're kind of like, you know, turning it around and now women can be in a position of powers and earn all this money and men can, you know, be inside the house and, you know, take care of the house. But is that the solution? I mean, the structures are still there. Even if we change them around, it's not, it's not a solution. Mm -hmm. So 
I think ultimately I would like to show that the solution lies in um, offering a place in which we can release those structures and like discover what it even means to be a human before what it means to be a woman or it means to be a man mm. and see what combines us because I think that really creates a sense of community and we can really connect and we cannot anymore attack the other just because of being a different gender you know mm. um yeah wow wow, wow. <laughs> I Yes, I want to clap. I want to snap. I want to do something, but it would just be ridiculous over Zoom. How can um, I say after Giselle? I don't know. Um, I yeah, I am a little speechless. Um, I can't wait. I like almost want to read your thesis. Um, I will send it to you once. Yeah, it's please written. send it to me, and I'll just make it like a nighttime, like little reading before bed or something. Oh, that would be awesome. Because you already have how many like sixty pages already yeah wow i can't even write like a 10 page paper without it taking me like ages well it took me ages but it was worth it i think oh yeah i I also have the best mentor that i could ever ask for in my life yeah (laughs) so that helps tons and yeah yeah i'm very excited to be in her class this semester and we're (laughs) all gonna be in it too which is gonna be so exciting (laughs) <laughs> I know. Finally, I'm so excited that this year I'm gonna have classes with people that I actually know. Well, especially the three of you, of course, because yeah. we're definitely partners in crime. So miss oh our extra rehearsals and quartet and everything. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. Well, I had an idea for our second half of. We didn't talk about it, but that's fine. We're just gonna do things on the on the fly. <laughs> Uh, and it's not anything hard I was just gonna think of maybe uh sharing our favorite memories with Marie that we had if I have one I'll start (laughs) and then Marie if you want you can share like favorite memories with one of us it doesn't matter (laughs) um I am going to say there's two that really stuck out in my mind. Uh, One is when I first met you and we did the premiere of Cliffhanger. That was also before Sticky Goop. (laughs) I'm glad you said that. (laughs) (laughs) Because I, and part of my favorite memory was when we both kind of admitted to each other that that we think the title should change. um but also just that entire experience of of getting to know you and that that was like my first introduction to UMass and someone at UMass and and working with them was really fun and then my other memory that sticks out is when you wore a um was it a squirrel onesie to opus one on Halloween I did yeah (laughs) Because we had rehearsal on Halloween of all days. Until 10 p.m. Until like 10, yeah, 10 p.m. on Halloween. I mean, I get it. We had to rehearse and it was important, but man, (laughs) it's Halloween. Um, And uh, I was like going to try to like, I don't know, like I have, like, I don't know. I was going to wear like orange and black, but I was like, "Uh, I don't know if anyone else will. And then Marie just being her normal self came in a squirrel onesie and it was just absolutely incredible and you were the only one that dressed up <laughs> oh no I no think- it was the yeah. bass player 
he was oh, Jack. like uh uh Jack was dressed like um uh hair. Oh that's right. A, like a rabbit? Yeah. 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 Oh, I remember now. But I just so remember I being like lonely. The, I just oh, I just I don't know why but that makes me smile when I think about it cuz it's just so you. <laughs> Thank you so much for those those memories. I kind of totally forgot about this squirrel suit. I think I, I probably was so out of it. I was like, I'm going to do it, whatever. I love and it. I, I agree about the cliffhanger. It was definitely was such it's, a valuable experience. And... It was very valuable. It was also the first time I had worked with like a composer in person, like yeah. in the process. That was really fulfilling. And we had so much fun. We had so much fun. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I wish we could do it again. I know. Sad. Oh, I'm so happy that you brought this topic, Victoria, because before when we were while we were having our discussion, I it came to my mind some some memories and I was like, ah, oh, I want to share with you guys. And then you said that I was like, yes, perfect. I read your mind, Habeka. I know. We're, <laughs> we're all connected. So when okay, the first thing that came to my mind was when we were at the hangar and we were all was all the girls was I oh think my gosh, yeah. Leticia, Shannon and the four of us. Yeah. And we were sharing our lives and <laughs> we were Marie um told us this story of when she took uh um she went to um she traveled and then she took oh when you did like your, your uh, hitchhiked. Trip. yeah hitchhiked. Yeah. Oh gosh and that was uh that was really funny the whole story the whole situation but the, the impressed the impression that i had after that day was like i marie is such a wonderful person i wanna be <laughs> like i wanna i wanna be like one part of Marie one day, you know. Oh, so I mean, I want to be like Marie. I agree. That hearing how you hitchhiked, that is so brave. <laughs> one, uh, but also like so independent, and I don't think I would have been yeah. able to do it. It was and, a little crazy. Yeah, and not only re like related to the uh, to the whole trip itself, to the whole story itself, but the way that you that you are and that you like handle the situations and your light i remember that I, I think i said something or i thought something like i wish everyone could experience having a mari for like a yes. day or for oh. like, part of their lives oh, because you're so sweet oh it is really inside it is really it was really really uh really nice working like the time that we worked with you and just sharing everything mm. you really have a like an impact you know where mm. you like walk the, the places you go and the people you talk it is like this positive energy this happy virus it's like it is really, <laughs> really good I happy, love virus. happy virus i love it <laughs> i'm gonna use it as my brand oh. i'm the happy virus put it on your resume happy virus yes <laughs> under skills Contrasting Corona, <laughs> happy virus. That's funny. Thank you, Rebecca. Yeah. Thank and you this, a lot. Well, after um, Victoria said, I just remembered the second memory. It was the first time that I saw you. We were going downstairs to the practice rooms. 
and then you came like hi i'm victor oh oh i'm marie and victoria was also there and i was like the first impression that you gave 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 us was already like this happy and like free and like yay <laughs> i was so happy to find virus i had like hang out the whole day and i was like where are everybody where is everybody i'm in the right place and then I was terrified of messing up the exams, which I obviously messed up. Oh, that's um, right. Yeah. But then it was so, I was so happy when I found you two with the violence. And then I think it was Gabriel also was with mm -hmm. you. And then we started chatting. I was like, okay, everything is going to be fine. I'm in the right place. <laughs> <laughs> All of a sudden, I felt a sense of belonging. Oh, I remember very well the feeling I had when you first talked to like, it was this hard, uh, like warm, this cozy feeling of like, and then I felt, okay, I'm going to be friends with her. I'm sure we're going to like, <laughs> we're going to be friends. I was like, sure. No. Yeah. yeah. Well, and we had wonderful times next to each other in orchestra. Yeah. <laughs> that was so fun. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Happy vibes. Or I don't know. I don't have like. We spent a good amount of time together just in quartet and everything, so I don't have, like, specific memories, but I loved any time we'd go to Post and Bean, the four of us, instead of quartet rehearsal. Those were always <laughs> good. Always good. Um, and then also, any time after, look, Opus 1 was just difficult, I feel like, especially for us i don't know and any time like after if i was feeling like shitty or whatever you'd always have like a good warm hug it mm. was like so like comforting mm. and like oh i definitely need like i needed that <laughs> all the time so it's just something i'm always grateful for You're well in always... other words we miss you marie yeah we do <laughs> i miss you too well, I want to share my last and most beautiful memory. I think of like I just hold that with such a dear. Oh my gosh! It's such a dear place. <laughs> um, so for the longest time, we always wanted to have that dinner at my place. Yes! And then the one when the pandemic hit, or oh, we knew that this the school was shut down. I was like, okay, this is it. So Friday night, everybody at my place, and we had like I made pizza, and we. Yeah. Like we're sitting on the table and I remember just afterwards how like we all, first of all, the celebration was amazing, but also it just had this kind of feeling of like the last dinner, but also such a love. I remember yeah. like we all gave each other hugs and like really held each other and supported each other through that. And mm -hmm. like knowing that we were still there be there for each other which shows because we're still here mm -hmm. and I still talk with Shannon and Leticia and yeah. I think it really I don't know I think it, it set me off with such a warmth in my heart even mm -hmm. a lot of longing and sadness but I was still just so grateful that we built such strong connections I feel yes. like in such a short time we were so you know together crazy like always supporting each other no matter what and mm -hmm going through also you know whenever there was an issue still talking it through and um yeah definitely yeah yeah I've never and I told Liz actually that before you know leaving that I never 
I never felt this good in a community. Like I never felt such a strong sense of belonging at school. It never happened. Mm. So it was such, we were such a good combination we're of such a good group. Women. And then COVID yes. had to just absolutely ruin it. Yeah. Oh, I know. Well, I'm so glad we took a picture that day too. Like that picture, that selfie we have. It's such a cute picture. Ugh. Well, the storm. Yes. Yeah. The, the craziness, or that that was like our one like moment of just being there, still in the moment, and then like happy and really yeah. yeah. And then we all left, right? Yeah. Well, we maybe Rebecca didn't. But oh, I, I stayed for like a month and then went home. Yeah. Oh. Oh yeah. Yeah, or yeah. a few weeks. It was. It wasn't long. No, because it was just before the break, right? Yeah. Yeah. So. Man. Well, mm. one day we're gonna have dinner again, and we'll make pizzas. Yeah, sounds good. We yeah. have to. We have to redo it. It'll be. I so remember good. that we also read those cards. It was really. Oh yeah! <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, we did. The actual <laughs> dragon card. Oh my gosh! That was so funny. That was really good. <laughs> When, when Shannon was channeling other people, that was like so funny. Anyway, oh it was so perfect. Ew. Like, <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh, oh my gosh. That's oh so good. <laughs> <laughs> well, Habeka, it's that time of the episode. I are you, know. Are you prepared? I am. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so let me ask, let me ask. Habeka, what is the Portuguese word of the day? Hello. <laughs> so, the Portuguese word of the day is felicidade. <gasps> felicidade. Did we did this word? Did we do this one? I think we did. No, oh, we, we did. did. No. Wait, Wait, what's it mean? Happiness. No, yeah, we, we didn't do it. Okay. We didn't do it. <laughs> okay. Oh, probably the ending is very similar to another one that we did. Okay. Oh. Felicidade. Felicidade. Ooh, yeah. we'll have to add it. Yeah. I like it. Felicità in Italian. Oh, yeah, so it's very close. Wow, does yeah. it? Okay, well now it's our favorite part of the episode. How is everyone's tuning this week? Marie included. You can you can answer as well. Anyone want to start? Oh, I can start. Okay. Um, I'm gonna give my week as eight. It was. Ooh really nice um much better i started really well um, i had a lot of more connections with people this week oh, and that great. changed everything oh that's awesome hmm. my tuning this week i'm gonna give a seven same as last week i think too it's just it's been fine i've been in my apartment um not doing anything <laughs> i have been doing stuff i've been slowly getting back into a little bit of practicing trying to get my life together trying to figure out what the future is gonna hold but then also being like you know what victoria you don't need to worry about it mm -hmm. it's fine yeah. um so i'm coming to that kind of uh realization that things are gonna work out and it's gonna be okay so mm -hmm. yeah i'm gonna give it i'm gonna give it a, a, a seven yeah Good. i'm also glad to be back in amherst uh yeah aaron is a saint he picked me <laughs> up at the airport it was nothing <laughs> um and so yeah i've just been chilling nice yeah 
Yeah, my tuning. Um, it was a b- kind of a strange week, but as per usual, spent time with a special someone. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, yeah. Sh- uh, we get it, Aaron. You're in a relationship. Just kidding. <laughs> We're happy for you. <laughs> it's just nice to like. I don't know. He was gone for two and a half weeks, and now he's back. So I'm like oh my gosh I get to spend time with you all the time like for real like that mm-hmm. guy I get to and yeah I get to so it's been... shout out to Chris <laughs> shout out to Chris <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so that's been good but I've also like dealt with some COVID problems so mm-hmm. I'll give it a seven out of ten also seven seven's good mm-hmm. well my week has been a seven until now and all of a sudden it went up to nine because playing time with you guys filled my day so much this last week two weeks i've been craving so much like reconnecting with all my wonderful human friends wonderful um you know all the connections and i've been mostly tending to zenobia who had surgery and so you know being in a room with a cat is wonderful but at some point i missed also (laughs) my (laughs) Female friends, human interaction. friends and human interactions and so um yeah I'm just so grateful that you invited me here and we could yeah. chat and that yeah. you're interested in my work and it's oh, just really it feels you know very I remember I, rem- I remember when we were in Mariana's class like the first like in the entrepreneurship class and you we had to like present mm. at the end and I remember the moment you started presenting on this topic, I was like, wow. <laughs> uh, so, and to see that it's come this far and I'm, I love it, Marie. I'm also so proud of you. You seem to have, you just seemed so happy and with your research and everything. So, yeah. Well, I guess that brings us to the end of the episode. How exciting uh, as always tune in every saturday episodes go up in the morning be sure to follow us on instagram at out of tune pod and this has been out of tune on zoom (laughs) Bye. bye